0: Our gracious Lord and God, we thank you that you are a God that reveals your will to your people, that you are a God that that speaks to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. We pray that tonight that you would be here with us and that you would speak, not only speak your truth to us, but Lord, we pray for the work of your spirit, not only to change our minds, but our wills as well to do your bidding. Oh God, we pray that the truth of your word would lead us to further worship you. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. As you have your scriptures open to 1 Corinthians 13. As you can see, we've been going through uh, this chapter on love and we've seen the preeminence of love, that love is to be first and foremost in the life of of the believer as Christ has died for us and shed his love abroad in our hearts. But what does that love look like? And so we've been going through the first uh, four, well, from verses four through seven, looking at the different properties of the different aspects of love. And this is not so much a a definition of love as much as it is of uh, almost like picking up a beautiful jewel and holding it up and looking at the different aspects of that jewel in in the light and see it glisten. And in much the same way, Paul is holding up love and showing us the different nuances and the different aspects of the love of God and uh, that love that is in our hearts. And so, uh, we have been going through this uh, month by month, which is uh, a little slow, just taking a, a couple of properties each time and looking at those uh, more carefully. But I, I don't want us to mistakenly think that that uh, these are segmented things. But we see instead that uh, that these qualities are interrelated. Look, if you would, at verses four and five: Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And like I said, last time we we looked at envy and and boasting uh, or, in other words, bragging, maybe we might say. But uh, but we see that a person does not uh, brag unless they are a person who is arrogant. And because they are arrogant, oftentimes they are rude and they insist upon their own way and they're irritable and they're resentful. And so I I want us to to understand. I don't want us to compartmentalize each one of these, but understand that they all see the big picture of what he is, is showing us here. But I want us to look tonight as we begin by just going back a little bit and looking at boasting because we really didn't get to talk about that that much last time. We see really that boasting is is a sin of the tongue. It is where we use our words to make sure that people notice how great we really are. Did you guys hear that? We want people to hear how great we really are, but uh, we know that boasting is not just a sin of the tongue. Matthew tells us in Matthew 15:18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. So boasting is much more than just a sin of the tongue. It is also a sin of the heart as well. And that's why the Apostle Paul ties together boasting with arrogance, as we're going to look at in just a moment. But I do want to mention just uh, one thing about boasting, and just to put it in proper perspective for us, because I think oftentimes, what does a little bragging hurt? You know, what what does it hurt? But I like what Lewis Smead says. He said, boasting or bragging is our private Advertising business. It's our little campaign to publicize an image of ourselves. We want people to see us a certain way. And so we oftentimes boast and we brag because what boasting does or bragging does is it puts us at center stage in our relationships and in our conversation and really in all of our lives. Uh, but uh, praise be to God the work of the Holy Spirit that is work in our lives helps to keep us from being self-focused and enables us instead to put the spotlight on other people because that's what love is. And so I want us uh, to, to keep that in mind as we now turn our attention to, to arrogance. Kids, what does it mean to be arrogant? Well, that's just a big fancy word to say that you're proud. Have your parents ever said that? Don't be proud, Right. Um, now, as we as we look at what it means to be arrogant or proud, uh, we see that it really means to be puffed up, okay? One commentator put it this way, he said, pride inflates our own importance. In other words, we make ourselves more important than maybe we really are. Now, I like to go fishing sometimes, and when we lived in Florida, uh, we were fishing in sort of this small pond, myself and, and our kids, and I caught this little fish. It wasn't very big. And as I pulled this, reeled this fish in and I pulled it up and started to take it off the hook, all of a sudden this fish started going <laughs> and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I thought, whoa, what is going on here? And I thought, what, well, this is silly. And I saw this old fisherman sitting over there on the dock just laughing at me. Because he know, he could tell I'd never seen anything like this before in my life. Well, I finally got that fish off and I threw it back in the water and I thought, well, what, what's going on? And he looked at me and he goes, you've never seen a blowfish before, have you? And I said, no, I, I never have. And, but see that he said, well, he goes, what? That's what the fish do when they feel like they're in danger. They blow up as a protective mechanism. You know, and I thought, wow, how much are we as people like blowfish? You know, we use that sense of self-protection you know, of, of sort of inflating our importance of ourselves as a protective mechanism and wanting other people to see us a certain way. And so we see that pride or arrogance really is displayed in a, in a couple of ways. First of all, in bragging about ourselves, but other also sometimes we see that pride expressed in being rude towards others as well. Now that word rude could be used to refer to virtually any form of indecency or impropriety so it could be anything from bad manners to to sexual sin you know but here Paul seems to have a very specific use he seems to be using the word to describe the bad way we treat people when we think that we are better than they are you know is that not true sometimes we we think that we are or better in people and so we look down upon them Um so uh, here again, if I could quote Lewis Smeads, he says, arrogance drives us to be rude to people who have nothing to offer us, nothing to help us look good, because that's what pride wants to do. The whole focus of pride is to make sure that people see how great that we are. And you would, you would hope that this would not be a problem in the church, but Paul says, oh yes, very much so. And unfortunately, I I hate that we're just taking like the 13th, the first half of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians because we don't, have the whole context of the book before us. But if you did take the time to read through this entire book, you would see example after example after example of the pride of the Corinthians and how they treated one another and not kindly either. Uh, Let me just give you some examples since we've not read through that. Some of them boasted of their superior wisdom and knowledge. We see that in, in chapter 3, verse 18, or even in chapter 14, verse 2 as well. They bragged, some of them bragged that they were more spiritual than their brothers and sisters in chapter 14, verse 37. Have you ever been tempted to do that? To uh, think sometimes that the Lord is working in your heart and He's causing you to be more Christ-like, but not really thinking that the Lord is working so much in the hearts of other believers? And you begin to think that maybe, you know, the Lord's really dealing with me. I'm, I'm, I'm really something. And so we can be tempted to think that we're more spiritual than than others, or other church members uh, uh, in Corinth had a very overinflated view of themselves. And throughout this chapter or this book, Paul would use this word arrogance. In chapter five, verse two, he just comes right out and says, you are arrogant, you are proud. And he's talking to Christians, he's not talking to unbelievers And so by by using this terminology of arrogance in 1 Corinthians 13, what Paul was showing these Christians is is that their problem was not their pride or just that they were being rude, but their problem was a lack of love. That they were not loving um, as their Lord and their Savior loved them. And that's our problem too, is it not? I mean, why does it bother us when someone gets something that we want? Kids, do you ever do that? Your brother or sister is is playing with a toy and you're thinking, oh, I wanted to play with that toy. Now, don't you get a little upset when they have it? Yeah, yeah. I see some of you kids nodding your head. Yes, you wish that you had that toy and you get very upset because of that. Well, you know, unfortunately, that's not just you kids. I I wish we could just say that. But even us adults, we know. But we're not going to talk about that. That makes us feel too uncomfortable. So why is it so important to us for other people to praise our accomplishments? You know, that may be at work. It may be even be with our family that we want them to, to praise us. You know, we do something nice for a wife or for a husband or for a friend and we sort of like it when they say, wow, thank you for doing that. Why do we secretly compare our natural abilities with others and quietly delight in the fact that our talents seem to be superior to those around us, do we not? We sometimes do that. Why do we talk so much in conversations, making sure others uh, get to hear our opinions and our experiences, thinking that what we're sharing will somehow help them. We want to come across as a servant, but what we're really trying to do is to say, hey, I know what you need. You know, maybe it's a, uh, we sometimes might refer to these as people who are fix-it people, who you know that you, so, you almost hate to share a problem with them because you know they're going to come up with a solution so why are we rude it's because we love ourselves the most and because sometimes we struggle to love other people as well what we need is more of the love of jesus we need a deeper awareness of his love for us and a growing measure of his love in us as we learn to love other people and that's why what we see in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I want you to turn over, if you would, to Paul's epistle to the Philippians. This is a church that he loves very dearly. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses uh, 2 through 3. Paul is writing to this church and encouraging them towards towards unity and love. He knows that there's some dissension in in this church that he cares very much for. And so he says in verse 2, or chapter two, verse two, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Now, what what is the basis of his command for that? Well, if you look back to chapter one and verse 27, Even just the beginning of that verse, he says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel or the good news of Christ that confronts our pride, does it not? Only when we come to realize that God exists And we understand who God really is, not the idols that we sometimes want to create in our mind as to who God is, but when we understand who our God is, it humbles us in His presence. But who is the Lord God? Well, first of all, He is our creator. He is the one who made us and He gives us everything that we need. But it's easy for us to think that we are the ones that provide for our needs, that it is through our hard work and it is through our efforts that we have the things that we need. But brothers and sisters, that is not true. Who of us in this room provides the sunshine every day upon this earth? Who in us in this sanctuary tonight sends the rain that is needed to water the earth? It is the Lord God who provides these things. And and even as we look at scripture, we realize that even that which we do by our efforts is uh, contributed to the Lord because he is the one that gives us health. He is the one that gives us strength. He is the one that gives us skill. And then we soon realize our dependence upon him and how insufficient we are in our power and in our wisdom. And as we think about it, and realize how infinitely little and lowly we are in comparison to our God, it begins to whittle away at that pride that we oftentimes have in our hearts as we compare ourselves with one another. And I'm not talking about uh, a mankind in his fallen state, brothers and sisters. I, I am talking about man in his unfallen state, that even as you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, before the fall, there was a great chasm between them and God. We call it the creator-creature distinction, that God is greater, that Adam and Eve did not self-exist and everything that they had was given to them by God. And so they, they could not take credit for that. We are humbled to see how immeasurably greater our God is and that he gives us everything that we need. But sometimes I think we forget that. You know, it's a little bit like, do you ever take a little baby and you grab them by their their hands and you stand them up and you sort of begin to walk with them and you take a step and they take a step, you know, and that baby could maybe think, huh, I'm walking, I'm doing this, but no, not really. You know, we are, we are, we're guiding them. We are showing them the form, but you know, if they thought very highly of themselves, they may think that. Just let go. I could do this myself. But if they let go, they would just fall to the ground. It's much the same way with us and the Lord. You know, sometimes we get so full of ourselves and we think that we are so great and we think that we know so much or that we can do so much or or many other ways that we are tempted to be proud that we forget that it is the Lord God, our creator, who has made us and who has given us every ability but it's not only through God's daily provision that we see um, and that we are to be lowly and humble. But our pride is, is truly and begins to be transformed into humility when we begin to understand that God is a holy and a perfect and a good God. And yet through Adam, who sinned and rebelled against him, we are born sinners um, that are in need of his grace. What does Romans say? Romans 3, 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes, verse 18 says. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's why David when he sinned with Bathsheba and he confesses that sin in Psalm 51, can come to the Lord with such humility saying, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me? You know, it was Jonathan Edwards who said that in order to have a sense of our lowliness and our unworthiness that's implied in humanity, it's not only necessary that we understand uh, that God is great, because without that greatness we would really never understand how lowly we are, but he says that we must also have a sense of his excellence And his loveliness. You know, if you think about the devils, uh, the, the demons, they believe that God is great, correct? They know that they can do nothing apart from God, that God has to give them permission before they can act. And so the demons understand the greatness of God, but there is no sense of humility in them. Because there's not a sense of understanding the loveliness of God and how wonderful it is that he has uh, uh, showed his his grace upon us. But as we get to know the Lord, as we as we grow in our relationship with him and, and understand him through his word, we, we see that. We see Jacob, for example, who said in Genesis 32:10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. He's speaking to the Lord or David as he's talking to the Lord. And and he says, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And and he understands that he does not deserve that. And so he sees the loveliness. He sees the excellence of who God is and of his wonderful grace and of his wonderful mercy. And because of that, it is humbling. And what did God do for us? But he sent his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to earth. Jesus, being fully God, humbled himself. How? How? God was not humbled in that. God is worthy to receive all praise. He cannot be humbled. It is only right that we give him that worship. But he was humbled as he took on humanity so that he might come and he might live and he might take upon our sins upon him. What an undeserved gift that is. Amen? Let me read again what Paul said, but let me expand it a little bit more. Philippians 2, I'll begin with verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grass, but emptied himself, emptied himself of his glory, not of his divinity, but of his glory, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's why Paul says to his his brothers and sisters at Philippi, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that of the heart of a servant that of one who understands that they live their light in light of the gospel. We are who we are by our very nature, very lowly as creatures and as sinners, and therefore we should be humbled and not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, as Paul says in Romans 12. But he who is very God the almighty one who was above all, as we saw in Psalm uh, 1:13-4, he humbled himself and he became human, submitting himself to suffer and to die that we might be lifted from a humble place in life and be raised up to be sons of God. Brothers and sisters, let us never forget what the basis of our adoption is. It was not because God saw anything good in us that he so chose us, but he He chose us because he loves us. So as ones who come from a humble beginning, let us be compassionate and patient with others. Let us not think that we are better than what we really are. Whenever we wrestle with pride, let me suggest to you that it is in that moment that we have forgotten the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is in that moment that we probably think that we are more deserving than what we really are. But the reality is, is that in the salvation that that God has shown to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has taken us as a beggar and he has brought us into the house of a king to where we might dwell. But as he sends us out and as he causes us to live in the world in which we do, it's not so that we can then think a lot of ourselves and we can be puffed up and we can look down upon other people and even be rude to them but really we go out as one who was once a beggar who now is showing another beggar where the bread of life is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you again, why does it bother us when someone gets what we want? Why is it so important to us for other people to praise our accomplishments? Why do we secretly compare our natural abilities with others and then delight when we find our abilities To be superior, why do we talk so much in our conversations, wanting to share our opinions and our experiences? It's our pride, it's our arrogance. But Jesus Christ came and lived and died and was raised to life and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us as His church that we might live in humility before God. The proud person has a high opinion of his own wisdom and his strength but a humble person is not prone to trust himself, but is timid in being self-sufficient and instead cast himself wholly upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And as people praise him or her for what they have done, they acknowledge that all things come from the Lord and they turn and they say, oh, it's not me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who has given me the ability to do that. I think of uh, Peter I love Peter. I can so relate to Peter. He was a guy that just sort of rushed in, you know, where angels feared to tread, you know, he would just Jesus would ask the question and he's like, "Oh, oh, I know, I know." And he'd just jump right in there and open his mouth and usually put his foot in about halfway up to his kneecap, you know, in what he said. But you know, later on in in Peter's ministry, he writes these words. The same Peter who is very impetuous and very much sort of promoting himself, sort of acted like he, he knew the answer so many times, he writes this in 1 Peter 5, 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, in a humble mind Was it not our Lord Jesus Christ who after he washed his disciples' feet he said this Do you understand what I have done to you You call me teacher and lord you are right uh, for so I am If I then your lord and teacher have washed your feet you ought also to wash one another's feet For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And then he goes on in John 13 and verse 16, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Brothers and sisters, we are not greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we are are much less. We are not divine We we are human. And so if we are followers of a of a foot washing savior, then no act of service could ever be beneath our dignity. Right. So what are the tools of of our servant trade? Well, first of all, we need to serve each other with our words, not monopolizing the conversation and always calling attention to ourselves but using what we say to encourage others. And I think it's it would do us well to stop and to listen in the conversations that we say, who is the focus? Who is on center stage? Is it us? Do we want people to think more highly of us? Are we seeking to exalt our Lord and our Savior? So therefore, maybe the best way for us sometimes to serve is to not talk and maybe to listen more. Also, I would suggest that it is to delight in other people's accomplishments as well. Kids, here again, are you ever at home and maybe a brother or sister, maybe they play baseball or basketball or something and they come home and they have a trophy. And what's usually your response when they walk in the door with that trophy? Do you say, wow, that's so cool that you want a trophy? Or do you say, well, I want one of those too. You know, oftentimes our temptation is not to delight in in what other people accomplish or what they get or the blessings that the Lord gives to them. And instead, our heart becomes jealous. It becomes envious and wanting that ourselves. But as servants, we get to delight in the good of others. But we also can serve others as well. And maybe that's just at home, washing the clothes, washing uh the dishes, you know, it might be uh, serving in a nursing home or, or whatever, or maybe even just wrapping our, our arms around a special needs child at church and just, you know, saying encouraging word to a parent who's struggling with all these little ones during the worship service and just saying, hey, I appreciate your faithfulness to have your children in worship to worship the Lord. There are so many different ways that we can serve the Lord. But I guess what I want to ask us is, what is the place in your life where your service shows the humility of your Savior? What is the place in your life where your service shows the humility of your Savior? I know that the Lord wants you to serve uh, in your family and in our church family. There's no question about that. He tells us that in his word. But we must be willing to take that lower place Not to think of uh, our service as a job for someone else to do, but it is a delight that we get to serve the Lord Jesus Christ who has served us. Remember the service of the Lord Jesus Christ with a towel that was wrapped around his waist and his love on his knees, washing the disciples' feet, then let us do the same to take up these trades of service, whether it be our words, whether it be our actions, whatever it may be, and may we serve our Lord and Savior who served us as we serve his people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much, Father, for your word, and we, we just thank you, God, that you had died, that we might uh, live Uh, But, Father, that in that life that we have, that new life in Jesus Christ, that it might be a life of service uh, to you and to others. Help us, I pray, O God, to, to grow in our love for one another. Lord, I pray that even specifically this week that you might show us ways that we would serve you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray in your name.